Welcome to the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas, and this is the place where Kingdom heirs go to be informed and inspired. So sit back, relax, and flow with me. Welcome back to another episode of the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas, and today I have an esteemed guest, Dr. Penella Deems. Uh, Dr. Deems, I'm going to go down some of your um, some of your accomplishments, but I just want to say thank you for coming and, and joining the podcast today. You are more than welcome. I'm excited to be here. All right. So you are currently VP of Student Engagement at Camp and Campus Life and an associate professor, uh, associate professor of psychology at Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Kentucky. Um, you got a double major, a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and Sociology from Southern, Master of Science of Counseling Psychology from uh, Southern, uh, Southern Mississippi University, University of Southern Mississippi. You got a Doctor of Philosophy and Counseling Psychology from and I got to put an emphasis on this, the Tennessee State University. Um, and you also have um, completed a program in women in education leadership uh, at Harvard. Uh, you've worked at University of Mich- Memphis, Nashville State Community College, Grambling State University, uh, I say Grambling State, Grambling University, Talladega, and of course, Kentucky State. So you've had a, a great experience, not just HBCUs, but you've also had some experience in PWI. So you know, you've got an amazing, amazing, um, just just your your accomplishments that you've done working and and as a student. Um, you know, you've had experiences in both places. So, explain to me and, and to the listeners for you, what has that HBCU experience been for you? Wow. So, the HBCU experience for me is the the, the simplest ways to say family. My parents are alum of Southern University. And so I'm actually second generation. My oldest sister and my middle sister also um, graduated from Southern University. And so I've been on that campus since I was, you know, seven, eight years old when my sister was in school. My dad talked about it all the time. Um, And so when I applied to college, I only applied to one. I only applied to Southern University because it had been ingrained so long since I was a little girl. Right. And on that campus, watching my sister and her friends and, you know, seeing the professors being in the lab because she was a science major, just watching all of those different things, watching the sororities, the fraternities, the young people outspoken in class, watching the, you know, African-American professors. That just was something I was just drawn to since I was a little girl. The family experience, my sister always brought home you know, people on the weekends, the holidays. So getting to watch that was just something I always saw. And it was my experiences as well. Okay. So yeah, it's cool because like you said, you had your parents, you had, you know, your your older sister. So you had a lineage of, of, you know, HBCU experience that was right there from from your immediate family. Uh, which is a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of people, you know, again, you know, they, they don't, they may be the first generation at a lot of mm-hmm. HBC, a lot of times the HBCUs, but you know, you having that. So, you know, for you, it was like, if you went somewhere else, it might've been a problem. Right. <laughs> um, right. 
And, and for those that don't know, I just want um, I just want you guys to understand for those that don't know what HBCU is, it's, it's historically black colleges and universities. So I just want to put that out there because, you know, mm-hmm. there are some people that don't know. Um, so right. it, it's obvious that, you know, your love for HBCUs came from, you know, your, your like I said, your parents, your sister and then your experiences there. Um you know, when you when you talk about just HBCUs and I see it a lot of times just knowing you personally, you know, you beam with excitement uh, for being a part of HBCU and, and, and you know, having that lineage. And, and now you have, you know, children and they're, you know, looking at that, um, you know, and I'm sure you've I'm sure they've seen the experience. I know you take them oh. to, you know, different classics and things like that. So they, they're getting that well-rounded experience. So how important of that to you is is it to you to really ingrain that into your kids about not necessarily forcing them to do it but letting them know that there's great opportunity and it should be definitely considered as an option to attend an HBCU yeah so definitely not forcing but making sure they do understand that you know I just encourage it to be somewhere in their process Mm. um you know I I desire for them to go higher than me so you know of course I have a doctorate so right that's at least some level of graduate school but you know, I, I encourage them that make an HBCU at least a part of your process, um, you know, be it if it's undergrad or if it's for grad. But again, like you said, my daughter's third generation. She's a junior at Xavier University in Louisiana. My, my son is a high school senior. And of course, as we're looking, you know, I'm like, OK, let's look at these. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, because I know what you can get from this experience. I, I know your personality. I know that you would thrive in an environment where you get that family experience, where you don't feel like a minority, right. where you have that opportunity to meet other people from different places. You know, I, you know, African-American experience is not singular. You're going to meet people from the North, South, international, who've had different experiences. Some will be first generation. Some might be fourth generation. Right. Um, and so you get to learn from not only your peers, but the richness of what every professor, wherever they've gone, they're bringing that experience into the classroom as well. And HBCUs draw such a rich, you know, intellect right. into that whole faculty system and that student affairs system as well. So I know there'll be great opportunities in that smaller nurturing environment. And so that's that's part of why you know, I actually do push it. Um, I know what I, you know, experienced and I know how it made an impact in me going to the next level. So I want to be able to do that for students. And I know I definitely want that for my own children. Yeah. And I I just, just thinking back on my experience at TSU um, and just knowing that it was that sense of closeness, but, you know, Mm -hmm. faculty, they took pride in, in, not just teaching about African-American history and just showing just, it's just about educating, you know, higher level right. education for African-Americans understanding that the opportunity that you have wasn't always available for us, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it was a great experience. And, you know, it's one that I think I appreciated it more once I graduated and left and started right. getting out to the world. I didn't, I appreciated it, but I didn't think I appreciated it as much until I got out of, um, you know, got out of school and, and started living, you know, as an adult. And I was like, man, you know, I actually did have a good experience at HBCU. And I would definitely, you know, you know, my, my oldest, she didn't, she didn't choose that route. You know, she had a couple of places that she was interested in, but she didn't, but, you know, we're again, you know, we've got 
our, our, our second oldest, he's, you know, two years out from going and, and that's the conversation we're having. Like, we don't want you to exclude it. You know, I want right. you to make sure it's part of the process because there are a great, there's a great opportunity there. Like I said, small environment, you know, teacher student ratios are a lot better um, and mm-hmm. you will be nurtured. You know, you're going to be pushed, but th- there's more opportunity for nurturing and, and mentorship and things like that that's available. So, you know, I always want to keep that up there. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. Um, so for you, you know, now you've been going through and whether it was school or where you were actually teaching or, you know, working as faculty and staff, you know, in these different places that you've gone so far, you know, you're also a wife and a mother. So mm-hmm. how was that trying to balance it, uh, balance it all, you know, and pursuing your degrees and career opportunities? Yeah, so that's, um, I don't know, it's kind of funny. Because um, my children, I had four children, and and when I had my oldest daughter, I was in graduate school at at that time, University of Southern Mississippi, um, fresh out of HBCU. I graduated at twenty, going on twenty one. Wow! Um, and when I went to graduate school, you know, I didn't even realize how much my HBCU prepared me for the world till I walked into graduate school. And of course, it was at a a PWI, and I was the youngest person in my class, um, the only African-American in my cohort. And, you know, I just reflected back on just what I learned, how to speak, how to present myself, how to go the extra mile with research and and studying. And, you know, especially going in there and having, you know, getting ready to be a parent as well, you know having to balance and also almost having to teach other people how to balance Mm. teaching other people how to be receptive to differences you know there are going to be graduate students who have children i had to show that to some people um and they can make it and they can you know survive and 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 you know thrive through their education um and then it's funny (laughs) when i started my doctorate i was getting ready expecting my son um, so I had two two children in graduate school at two different schools, two different experiences. And of course, with him, I was at Tennessee State University. So I was back in the HBCU environment. And that was also just, you know, phenomenal where administrative assistants were, you know, can I help babysit? You know, they wow. came to the hospital, you know, when I delivered, you know, they came and visit, they, you know, bought food. So, you know, you were still getting that nurturing experience even as a graduate student mm. and you know even on the wraparound the students they were wanting to check on you and make sure you were okay um so again that family experience and then I had my last two children early career at that time I was working at a community college so you know my children were a part of everything that I did you know having them through graduate school and early career and then the big part of that what you mentioned with, you know, being married, you know, my husband and I went through undergrad together and, you know, we did some of our programs and graduate as well, both being in school. Mm. And so the balance was, you know, the big thing and, you know, being able to communicate through that, you know, um, take a, you know, bet on me, yeah. <laughs> even though this is a struggle, if I could get through this, then we'll help you get through that. Right. Bet on me so we could get through this process together. Yeah. And I commend both of you, you know, both doctors, you know, and I've, I've had a chance to watch, you know, just 
how you guys have the family has grown and then you guys continue <laughs> to accomplish things, you know. So, you know, being a just being a wife and trying to do that is difficult, you know, especially being in different areas at times through that mm-hmm. process. And then now you tack on, you got four kids through that process. So, <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of strength to do that. But, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, your HBCU experience, you know, it really when you had the kids there, they were actually like the whole community was around mm-hmm. and it was like the village, you know, like right. in Proverbs, you know, it was, it was a village that, that helped to, to do that. So it helped make the experience a lot better. Um, but yeah, I, I say, I, I always commend both of you for doing it, you know, cause I know there was times where you had to sacrifice and one, mm-hmm. one of you was sacrificed for the other, but right. it was for the greater good. And now, you know, here you guys are where you're at both doctors you know, both thriving. And now, you know, the kids have kind of a benchmark to look to, to mm-hmm. say, you know, if, if mom and dad can do it, I did it, you know, and, and we're, you know, HBCU student, you know, grads, you know, we're, we came from that environment. So, you know, again, you can be successful. And I think it knocks down that narrative that, you know, going to HBCU or, you know, you're going to have less, you know, less of a real experience to do, do well professionally. And, and so, I'm glad to hear that because I want people to understand that it's, it's HBCU should be an option. It shouldn't be an alternative. Oh yes. When oh yes. People say alternative. It's like, well, you know, it's not the same, you know, it's like taking the name brand versus generic brand, you know, it, no, it, it's, it's, it's all, it's just what you want from the institution. So I really love that. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that, but um, you know, one of the things I want to mention too is, you know, the journey that you had as a student, you know, and, and really through everything now, your, your current role that you have, um, you know, as a VP there in charge of student engagement, you know, how is your experiences kind of helped bubble up into this role now and how right. you felt the success, I guess, at Kentucky State, you know, really being involved in student activities on a day to day basis. Right. And so my my background, of course, psychology and sociology. So, you know, Fundamentally, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with groups, you're dealing with systems. Right. Then, of course, um, my counsel, my graduate concentration is counseling psychology. And so I chose not to go into therapy, um, even in my process. I saw my degree somewhat as a means to an end, you know, a uh, means to accomplishment to get to that next level in higher ed. So I started off as a faculty member, you know, coming right out of graduate school but then shifted into having the opportunity to be a dean of students and now, you know, vice president of student engagement and campus life. But the mental health, the counseling, all of that training is stuff I do every day. Um, you know, the big part of what we do is customer service and problem solving, right. mentoring, leadership development, nurturing our students. Um, there's no day that's ever planned out that's the same. You know, it may be that you're dealing with some crisis intervention and maybe dealing with, um, you know, first generation students and their adjustment process. It may be upper class students and their leadership and mentorship development, them developing their own programs and planning. Um, so it's, it's no data is ever the same, but it's such a rich experience to watch, you know, these students who are getting ready to be alums mm-hmm. and you know, make their mark and make their impact and everything from freshman on down to the senior year, you know, I'm also checking you, making sure you're going to class, making sure you're, you know, qualified to be in these programs, making sure you're creating opportunities. We have over 50 clubs and organizations. And one of the things I tell the students is, if you don't see anything that you like, or you think fits you, we will help you create 
those mm. opportunities as well to yeah. create organizations. So, you know, it's a it's a great, you know, place to see entrepreneurship thrive, to see group development, to see the leadership, to see their own ability to problem solve and, you know, deal with and learn differences, meeting people from different places and just watching that whole evolvement, watching, you know, leaders develop. And, and one of the things we always say, you know, we don't have leaders and followers, we have leaders and more leaders. Mm. And so to watch other people in their roles and, and being mentored by your peers, it's just a, it's an awesome experience to watch at the same time. Are you going to class? You know, how are your grades? You know, um, do you have a minor? Still checking in on those other key pieces that will help them to thrive in that co-curricular yeah. environment. And as a parent, you know, now as a parent hearing that, that's something that you will want your environment, you want your kids to be in, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not that you need somebody checking in, but you, it's good to know that you've got people that are encouraging this, 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 your kids to keep moving, keep pushing, making sure they're taking care of business. They they know mm-hmm. the ins and outs, you know, kind of the, the things that the, the world may not teach you necessarily. You got to teach yourself. They're learning these things now. So they're prepared. Um, Cause I, I will say, and you mentioned it, I, I felt like I was really prepared for the real world when I left oh, yeah. PSU and it, and that's in different ways. And some people look at it like, well, what do you mean? I mean, just going through the registration process, going through all this. <laughs> different, I mean, you know, you, it, it was different back then. We didn't have, we didn't have online registering, mm-hmm. you know, you had to fill out this little form and then walk back and forth. And that, that was the experience at most, most HBCUs. And it was, it was a reason for that. We'll talk about that right. later, but we also had people that were helping me through the process. You know, there were mm-hmm. different faculty members and just like, I know this is difficult, but they were encouraging. This is what you can do. And if you were willing to talk, and explain what your challenges are. There was always somebody there that would help you through that. Uh, oh, and yeah. I felt like that experience was, I, I had that rich experience at TSU. And, I, and I've heard that from other people in other HBCUs that, that that closeness, that support was always there. Now you had to be willing to do the work. Oh yeah. You had the support if you, you know, if you were challenged with anything. So, and that's what I loved about it. I'm not saying that's not available at PWIs, but I think it's more so ingrained in what we do at HBCUs because, you know, we understand that there's some disparaging differences between, you know, how people of color have been treated over time and how they mm-hmm. go out to the world. So I think that preparation is 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 key, and that's a key moment because that's college is the bridge between, for most, if they're if they're going straight from high school into into college, you know, it's that bridge between childhood and adulthood, and, and right. it's a lot of forming that's taking place then. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, I, I definitely I, I always appreciated that, and, and so I'm glad that that's still going on, and you know, having a role like yours seems to be something, and I don't know, is that is that a role that's something at all HBCUs or is it? Is it specific to? Yeah, so most most institutions, you know, the key areas are the academic affairs and mm-hmm. then the other side of student affairs. So, you know, making sure that they have the academic enrichment and that experience and then the student affairs side, which you'll find like your SGA, your dean of students, your mental health, your student health, all of those key areas, um, you know, are at most are structured that way at most institutions overall. Um, but what you said that about, you know, that how it happens at HBCUs is just, I, I find it to be very organic. Mm. Um, I find it to be that you naturally fall into those roles. You know, even when I was, when I was teaching, 
you know, it's it's not uncommon for students to call me Mama Deans. Okay, I was gonna <laughs> say that Mother Rose, and, and they and they always just did it. You know, it's yeah. just I didn't ask for it; it just happened. Um, and then now it's more of a I get more of an auntie, so they they call you know it's the teaching role. Yeah. Getting more, you know, auntie here um, at Kentucky State, but it just was natural. Almost everywhere I was at, it was a a mama deans or you know auntie or some kind of experience like that. And when you have that again organically, you want to look out for your students a little bit more. You want right. to watch what they're doing. You want to make sure you're seeing them day to day. You want to make sure that they're fulfilling their experiences. You want to make sure that hey, I didn't see you or you know, how you meant, you know, midterms is coming up and, you know, how your grades look. So you see something in them and you kind of push it for a little bit more because they do remind you of your nieces and nephews. They remind you of your children. They remind you of your siblings. You know, they remind you of people from your neighborhood. And so you want to make sure that they are successful. Yeah. And and that that's big. And and it's, it's big in the sense that, you know, just as a student, you know, the challenges and everything that goes on with not just being a student, but just being in society. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you're not shielded from that just because you're on a college no. campus. But, you know, for some students, it, they are first generation and they're going away to school and they're in a different environment. Some are coming from major, you know, big city areas and they're coming mm-hmm. to these small towns where a lot of these colleges, HBCUs are located. And, you know, the one thing that they always want to have is somebody that reminds them of that one family member that they are. Wow. So, you know, you being called Mama Deems or Auntie, you know, those are terms of endearment, but that allows you to connect with the students and and allows the students to feel like they have somebody they can go to that's right there. And again, that makes them want to thrive and do well because, I'm pretty sure they say, I don't want to let you down. You know, I don't want to let right. you down, you know, not even, you know, not even because of their parents. They're like, I don't want to let you down because, you know, I have people that's around me that care. And, and right. that's that small community environment. That's really what, what helps to nurture that even more because you have people who care and they want to see you do well and they're invested in your success. And it mm-hmm. sounds like that is a lot of what your role is, is really investing in the student's success, but it is organic because like I said, you see yourself, your, your family in, in, in some of these kids. And so mm-hmm. they, and they take that and they're like, they're just feeding off of that. And it's like a, a really organic situation. It's not something that's forced because I'm your academic advisor. And, you know, my job is to do one, two, three, four. So I have to do these things. Like, no, I, I, some of this stuff I do because I really want to, and I want to see right. you succeed. So that's good. That's really good. Um, you mentioned mental health and I know that's one of the big things that has been, you know, been discussed lately and when we talk about mental health in in college you know how is how how have you seen things shift since the pandemic came about and you know from last year going into this year uh with just students and mental health overall so you know I always remind people that (laughs) our African-American students were dealing with dual pandemics you know it wasn't just COVID-19 it's also you know, some of the racial injustices Mm -hmm. that were happening across the country, you know, that you're dealing with and, you know, in the middle of a huge election. And so, you know, the, the, these students were, you know, dealing with things that happened, you know, I'm, I'm here in Kentucky. So we're right here. I was going to say, yeah, you're There are so many students who, (laughs) you know, were in the middle of what was going on with Breonna Taylor, Mm. you know, and so that was home for them. Um, And so, they're right there in the middle of the heart of that along with COVID. So it's like, I want to get out and, 
you know, speak for my community or get out and protest, but there's COVID, you know, right. so what do I do? I, I have this voice and I have these things that I want to say and I want to, you know, speak out and I want to show for unity and solidarity, but, you know, there's a, a dangerous, you know, physical health kind of scare going on at the same time. Right. So when you're dealing with that and, you know, all the other things as well, and, you know, not being able to go out, you know, some of these students were affected by, you know, their high school senior year, mm. um, virtual, their freshman yeah. year, virtual, not being able to interact, not having those milestones across in the stage for some of them, mm. losing people, losing family members, losing friends, um, not having the opportunity to have closure in the midst of some of those challenges by, you know, even things like having a funeral service or something like that. So they're dealing with these dual pandemics. So of course you have the impact on mental health and well-being. You're trying to adjust, you're trying to transition into college life and the college experience along with all of these other different things going on at the same time. Um, And then access, you know, some of our students, the college campus is their home away from home, is their escape, is their place of identity. And so not having that space or having the traditional experiences that you typically would have had on the college campus, you know, may have affected part of their process as well. So, you know, yeah. you, you definitely saw a rise in mental health concerns. And, you know, we try to be as proactive as possible by making sure counseling services are available for our students, our after-hours crisis line, you know, all those different things, resources, tons of programming, yeah. um, you know, virtual and in-person program check-ins, you know, just how you're doing, you know, even having quiet spaces to study um, just so they're not locked in the room, you know, the whole time if they have virtual classes. So that was a big thing, you know, for us is just making sure that they had access, resources, you know, even being able to get out and get fresh air, trying to do outside events, but yeah. but still trying to make sure they had a great experience was, was something we really worked to do. Yeah, I know, you know, just the HBCU experience of being able to go to games, you know, see the band, pep rallies, all that stuff to, to come into a school and you're excited about that opportunity and know that you're not going to be able to do it because of you know, the pandemic from just the health side with COVID, but then, you know, when you tack on the other things, so there was a lot going on last year, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the election, like you said, uh, the injustices that, you know, happen. And then you tack on the fact that you are stuck in a, in a health scare and you can't get out and move around like you want to. And, and you know, for young people, I, I know that for them, it was trying to figure out how do they channel that anger into something positive. So right. was that something that you guys really had to be mindful of as faculty and staff with the, with the students in their interactions? Because I'm pretty sure some there was some shortness of, of just from from just attitudes and just things like that mm-hmm. and trying to keep the environment positive, understanding that where they are. You know, where where you guys are there to to build them up and give them at least an opportunity to try to voice some things, maybe not in person, but you know, creatively come up with ways to to put mm-hmm. things out there. Um, because I know as a 18, 19 year old going to college and you're seeing all this stuff and it's affecting your community and you can't do anything, there's a lot of bottled up frustration. I felt it as an adult. Right. Um, and seeing it in the corporate world and how 
you know, people just kind of brush it off. So I can imagine being, you know, young and and seeing this and you feel like you're helpless. Um, so it was good to see that you guys have the programs and and put things out there for them to really, for students to be able to access that. Um, but yeah, I, I already knew just talking about, you know, classics and things like that, like seeing all that stuff getting canceled. I'm like, I know people at HBCUs are going nuts not being able to do that because, you know, just, just to go see the band play, you know, mm-hmm. Sometimes not even about the sporting event. It's just the band playing at halftime, right. you know, and coming in. So not having that is a, is a big deal. And, I, and alumni are the same way, you know, like I want to go, you know, check that out. So that's that's good that you guys have that. And I think that, again, that, that just shows the importance of having that community because you have people that come from a lot of the same communities in different cities. Uh, but have a lot of the same feelings about this stuff. And you guys can have good dialogue around that and be able to teach them and help them navigate through those feelings, uh, which is very important, especially nowadays, just with everything that's going on. And that's why I feel like it's it's important to have HBCUs out there. Um, oh yeah, and, and to keep and to keep them moving and funding and thriving because, you know, again, it's it's an option that a lot of people need. Um, just thinking about, I know people that was going to HBCUs, you know, when I was in school, and for them, they they would rather be on the campus. Then they'd be at their own homes because their living situation at home and their environment wasn't the best. So they were just fighting to stay in school, to, to come to summer school, you know, figure out ways to do that. Um, and for some, it, it saved their lives, you know, being oh, yeah. in school. So I, and I'm sure you had those experiences as well, where people were like, you know, if I didn't come to this school, I may not be here right now. Yeah. So and how do you, how does that make you feel to know the, that impact that you have in somebody's life, you know, a young person's mm-hmm. life? Yeah, before, you know, even before getting into that, you know, you mentioned the classics. And I just wanted to mention, you know, for some people, they just see it as a game. But mm-hmm. you talked about the band and it's the, 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 the talent is a lot of times the classics include career fairs, alumni who um, provide opportunities for jobs or on site. Um, and you have that family reunion kind of element where... Right to see your classmates and your peers and for those who want to expose their children to them you know one for me is the value classic I always Mm. you know been bringing my children to them for years but I want them to see and experience you know the excellence and you know the educators and all those different things and so that was a big thing for me but that that those classic experiences and those homecomings that's the family reunion right you know sometimes that's when you see your roommates and your sweet mates and your peers and professors all of those just walking around and just you know getting to getting together again yeah but what you mentioned um you know the question you just mentioned off you know how do hbcu you know serve students um you you do have some people who deal with housing insecurities um and so that is their place of uh safety Mm -hmm. you know you do have people who are um you know, growing into their own experiences and opportunities. So the institution itself, it may be a source of employment, like if you're an RA um, or if you work, you know, anywhere else on campus, it's a source of employment. Right. It's a source for you to, and again, you mentioned before that development. So I'm growing into who I am, into my career, into my interests, in the things that I like, learning new people. So the institution itself, provides just that holding place per se in your development. And so it, it means a lot to a lot of people. Um, 
that love they have for the institutions, not just the institution, but is what the institution did for them or gave to them. Mm-hmm. And so it gave friends, it gave safety, it gave purpose, it gave um, development, it gave a sense of unity, it gave balance. Um, you know, it, 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 it empowers you. And so with these institutions, especially these HBCUs, you know, there's so much to look back on because they gave you such a forwardness while you were there. Right. And that's why I say I, I always look back at the journey I had <laughs> and was like, man, you know, I really appreciate it every day. I appreciate it. like even watching, you know, watching my kids go through certain things. I'm like, man, you know, they'll see when I when I remember certain things going through the HBCU process. And it's like, man, you know, I, I really do appreciate what I learned. You know, my kids are like, oh, yeah. how are you able to manage this? And that? they asked me, because my, both my, my wife and I went to TSU. And I'm like, how did you guys manage to do this? And how do you focus on this? And that I'm like, college prepared us for that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we, a lot of the stuff that we learned how to deal with corporate and and you brought up the fact of career development, things like that. You know, one of the things I loved about the, the, our, my HBCU experience was we had a lot of opportunities to network, especially in the engineering Mm -hmm. department at TSU. We had a lot of opportunities to network with companies out there where there were leaders, you know, African-American leaders that will come in and, and, you know, either they went to HBCUs or they're just big proponents and, and help to, to, you know, recruit from there. And they would actually come in and offer internships. Uh, they would provide scholarships to the program that, and I was a recipient of one of those scholarships. So, you know, having those kind of experiences, you know, really help. I mean, when you talk about propelling mm-hmm. you to the next place, I mean, it does help. And I know, like I said, from the engineering department, but there's other departments, you know, other departments who had money come in uh, just from their networking with, you know, those um, other companies that are out there. So it was definitely a good thing. Um, but a lot of people don't talk about that, but it, right. it's, it's something that you, you, we, you know, we call out like my wife, she had a scholarship through General Motors because Saturn was here in, in Tennessee. Right. Um, and so they had a lot of people and she wound up interning and getting her, starting her career in engineering there. Um, so those little things that, you know, you know, big companies, Raytheon and all these other places, they hear, you hear of these names and it's like, you know, they have people who are, you know, in from HBCUs and environments that you may not, they may not be big time known, but they pump in a lot of time and effort and energy money. They come back to give during homecoming or classics, you know, when they offer those, um, or, or even we had, we used to have, um, you know, different work opportunities to come in and learn about career fairs and things like that we always had career fairs, like for anything, you know, even for, even if it wasn't for something that you were interested in doing when you graduate school, there were job opportunities. Hey, when you're, you're, you know, it's not necessarily internship, but it could be something that goes towards your, you know, what you're working towards in your degree, you know, where you can work during the year, you know, so, you know, it can help to minimize the financial aid gap that you may have. So, you know, those are the experiences that I know, you know, if it wasn't for that, I don't know where I would have been, you know, right now because of what I got from, from being at TSU and at HBCU. So yeah, I definitely think that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up when I mentioned the classics, because, you know, there's a lot more than just that. So I appreciate reminding me of that piece of it. Um, one of the one of the questions, and we started talking about, you know, a little bit more with HBCUs and the development that you're seeing, but you know, there's still some questions and people still ask, you know, why is it important for HBCUs to continue to exist today? I think we, we touched upon it, you know, from the overall experience of, you know, the, the development of the person. Uh, but 
I think it's also important to talk about some of the discrepancies that you see, uh, and I'll say between going to some of the PWI, not all of them, but between HBCU and, and PWI, uh, when you talk about financing uh, these universities, um, you know, just the overall support that you have from students. Um, one of the things that I, that I love about um, HBCUs is that you know, you will see across the board, they're typically tuition rates are lower than some of the PWIs. Um, and, and people don't understand what that does because it helps those that are, you know, that are in lower income areas that they can still afford to go to school. There's tons of grants and things out there, but, you know, how do you think HBCUs have helped to close the, the, the overall racial wealth gap? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the big one in that, um, you know, over 80 percent of some of your professional, I believe it was your dentists and your, um, you know, I think it's your judges, your lawyers, your 50 uh, percent of your uh, African-American MDs, um, you know, their experiences come from HBCUs mm. and, you know, HBCUs are at the top in producing you know, African-American professionals. So you see that impact um, in bridging what they call that middle class um, or HBCUs helping to produce the black middle class. Mm. But you also have to look at the other piece. Um, you know, you mentioned the funding and how these institutions have traditionally been underfunded. And as you see what's going on with TSU. I was going to mention that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> undermatched um, and right. blocked for certain uh, fundings and opportunities. Um, and then also just the overall, the fact that that institution is where it's at. Um, there are some impact studies. I know uh, UNCF, United Negro College Fund, they do huge impact studies every year showing the impact of having that institution in that city. And the, the financial impact that it provides to that city and that community, you know, the jobs for, um, you know, if an institution employing over 600, over 700, 800, sometimes a thousand employees who are giving back to that community. So just the impact of just having that institution in, in that area, right? Um, you know, having that institution draw in, you know, funding from classics, draw in you know, money and tax, as well as once they produce the alums, these alums are given back and they're also again adding to that um, middle class. So it is, you do see where the HBCUs are helping to bridge, you know, that wealth gap, but also just the overall impact that they bring into that community. Yeah. Um, what they are and traditionally have done more with less. Yeah. And, and, and you know, just some of the studies and, and stuff that I've looked at before and even recently, you know, just understanding that having a degree, you know, having the ability to attain, obtain a, a degree is, is, you know, it increases your earning potential, you know, when you graduate, you know, and they say the difference between a high school only graduate versus a college graduate in terms of their earning their lifetime earning mm -hmm. uh, for wages is like a million dollars. Right. Um, you know, so again, having that access for, I say African-Americans, but really HBCUs is, is really open to all people of color. Um, oh, always have been, always yeah. have been. 
And it's just called that because, you know, originally that was one of the big disparaging things is, you know, African-Americans weren't allowed to go to a lot of these PWIs Mm -hmm. back in the day. So now it's like, hey, we're going to start our own. And they were thriving. But then, of course, when that money wasn't coming in and people were like, I'm not going to those other schools. And they started creating other opportunities Mm -hmm. through different endowments and things to lure you know, you're more talent, you're, you're smart, you know, ath- you know, or more athletic African-Americans to go mm-hmm. to these bigger schools, taking away from the money that was coming in. But, you know, like you said, they, we continue to thrive even without that. Um, you brought up what happened in Tennessee State, with Tennessee State University. And I just want to point this out for everybody, but, you know, a study was done last year and they found that dating back from ni- up from 1950, that TSU should have had over five, it had over $544 million. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not given to them to be able mm-hmm. to operate. Um, and a lot of people don't understand, you know, when, when you have state funded schools like HBCU state funded schools, they're supposed to have federal and state funding. Right. Well, state of Tennessee wasn't kicking in their part, you know, for the most part, you know, the federal government, they, they kicked in their piece, but these schools were created to operate off of that budget. So when you're not getting those funds from both sides, that's a challenge, you know, and it, you can't, it's hard to operate off of that. And you have to, you know, you have to figure out where you can make cuts. And, you know, if you're not getting the donations mm-hmm. and you're not getting the the money that comes in, because they're not generating the big TV contract money that, that some of these right. big schools are getting, they're not getting that type of thing coming in. So, you know, I wanted to point that out because, you know, figuring out how to operate with less, you know, I, I've, I've always heard people say, well, the facilities at PWIs are better, you know, well, there's a reason why because they have the funding to be able to do that they're like well the athletic right. facilities are different well again you know and, and we'll get into this a little bit too because i want to get your opinion on you know this this resurgence and this this newness of you know these pro athletes that are coming over after they retire and coaching at hbc's so i think it's a great thing but there's a huge discrepancy in just the money part of it and when you're not getting the money when you're when you're basically cheated out of you know, 544 million over a 72 year period or 71 year, 71 year period, that's like over almost $8 million. Right. So $8 million can do a lot for institution. You know, when you talk about, you know, from the faculty staff to things on campus programs, different things like that. Um, and that's just from what they found from state funding, there's other funding that that's been, you know, mismanaged that was supposed to come in from the state and other areas. So, and the federal government doesn't always have the ability or they choose not to kick in all of the funds when they're supposed to. So when you're dealing with that and you don't have these huge endowments from a lot of the alumni or just other interest groups and stuff like that, you know, that, that HBCUs have some have, some of them do some of the bigger ones that may have some, but you know, you think of these smaller schools that don't have that same, you're not, the playing field isn't level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to me, that's why I think it's very important to continue to support HBCUs, but also oh, understand definitely. understand that when you have that gap in, in funding, you have funding that's being held back, you have to pick and choose where you can use things and how you can make things work. And so people just don't get that. They're like, well, I don't want to go to that school because their dorms don't look the best they don't have all these things i'm like but you got to understand they still give you the same opportunities you know and again it's not an alternative this is an option this is another option for you you know but you understand what you're getting may be more than just the way the dorm room looks you know it may be more than just 
how that building looks. Are you getting a quality education? Yes. Are you getting the experience like, like we mentioned before? Yes. You know, you may not have that. You go to some bigger institutions and you're a number. Yeah. You know, um, and again, I'm not saying that everybody that goes to those institutions have that same feeling because there are some people who have fine mentors in there. But I'm just saying the way HBCUs are set up, it's a, like you said, it's an organic process, you know, and it's set up to be a community uh, to help people thrive, to help these young younger uh, minds thrive. And even, you know, you know, some of the older uh, folks that want to go back to school later on, you know, it still creates that same environment because I saw quite a few folks that were definitely, a, you know, older adults, you know, on campus, mm-hmm. you know, walking around and still, you know, um, mingling in with the other, with the younger students and creating that whole environment where it was like this, like this, you know, I remember a lady, she was like an auntie. It was a guy that was older, you know, gray beard, everything when I'm in school and he taking classes next to me. And, you know, I used to call him uncle, you know, just, it mm-hmm. just wasn't being funny, but he reminded right. me of one of my uncles, you know, so I'm just like, hey, unc, you know, and I just walk by and just keep it moving, you know, just checking. He would make sure I was good and he would try to share knowledge with me and things like that. So, you know, it was good to have that and, and that those were the experiences that you have. So you try to push that out there uh, when to combat the, the economic gaps and why people don't choose not to go to HBCU because they come up with these things that, you know, it, it's just inferior and that's not the case. But when you're losing money like that, you know, it's, it's hard to manage that. And I'm sure you guys have ex- experienced that at Kentucky State. Yeah, you know, and I just I always like to say, you know, African-Americans belong in all spaces. Yes. Um, you know, so even when I said, you know, as I introduced myself before, you know, I've, I had experiences, you know, educated at two um, HBCUs, but as well as the PWI, worked at PWI, community college, you know, HBCU, public and private. Um and we belong in all spaces. Um, right. And I know that, you know, one of the things, you know, HBCUs, a, a lot of them are concentrated in the South. And mm-hmm. so for some people, there are different reasons. They may have received a state scholarship in a state that doesn't have an HBCU, or it may be more convenient for them to stay closer to home, right. you know, so whatever the reason. So um, for different, you know, for those particular reasons, I understand. I think, you know, as you mentioned, sometimes people may, you know, some of the narrative is, less than or inferior and you know the as you speak against that or speak against that myth and as we try to you know as we work to debunk that myth you know you see it in the numbers you know yeah. it's vice president right. <laughs> um, of the U.S. you know and so other people just as qualified and you know successful in their places of industry and education employment health you know the health um healthcare field you know excellent um leaders and scholars who come from HBCUs um, and, and are have great, you know, experience. And, and those HBCUs were their first choice. Right. Um, those HBCUs nurtured them to, you know, that place of prominence and intellect and, you know, all those other uh, things that go along with it in that training and development. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people that, you know, on that debate wagon, I'm not going there because yeah. they're they're relevant. Um, even for you to ask the question, are they still relevant? That's that's your answer yeah. because you're asking a question. That's your answer. Um, they should still exist because of the fact that you know institutions exist. If this institution was founded in 1886 or you know 18 you know 75 or whatever year if it was founded, and I want to go where my grandparents went, you know. Yeah. 
other schools, other, other students make that choice. They want to go generationally. So that's one answer in, in itself of why this should still exist. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I've had I've had people mm-hmm. ask that question, like, well, why do we even still have HBCUs when, you know, with other schools are trying to be inclusive? And I, I mean, we we kind of talked through some of that. Um, you know, one of the things that I, that I, I was looking up some different things about, you know, again, kind of with that question and, you know, there was a Gallup poll that was done, uh, about five years ago or so. And they mentioned that students attending HBCUs reported a higher sense that their professors cared about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they felt more supported. Uh, they more often found mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also studies that show that there's an improved mental outcome from students at HBCUs because they face fewer microaggressions and outright instances mm-hmm. of, of racism, which, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of touched upon too. You don't have those saying, not from the institution. Now, in some of the cities that they're, that these right. institutions are in outside of the campus walls and things like that, that, that could be a place, but, you know, in the school themselves, you know, they, students feel like they can be themselves that come from, mm-hmm you know, uh, some of these different ethnic backgrounds. And I think, I think that's really the important part. They, they can be themselves and still be able to thrive because they don't have to conform to what people think that this is the, what the traditional college students should look like, should be like, you know, this is the, the path they should take, you know, and, and you have, you still have that opportunity there. And again, when I say this stuff, I don't mean to say that, you know, our experience is just limited to this field. Like you said, we can fit into many different modes and we can go into different spaces and we've proven that and whether it's mm-hmm. in government, you know, uh, corporate America, um, just any, any in medicine, just in any field we can fit in. And it doesn't matter whether you go to a, a HBC or not, but again, it's just to point out the fact that at the HBCU, those opportunities are going to be nurtured to help you. So when you walk out of that institution, you are, you're, you should feel you most, most of the time you are better prepared. If you've done the work, if you've, you know, fully invested yourself into what the experience is all about, uh, you will see that you will be successful out in the world because you, you will know you're prepared. And like I said, that's what I look back at and say, yeah, I feel like I definitely got my preparation from that to when I got my first job, when I graduated, I was prepared. You know, I knew how to interview. That's one of the things that they taught me at TSU, how to interview. Um, So yeah, it was just, you know, I I just think about again, that whole experience. And it just, I just think about standing in, in these uh, career fairs and, you know, having it, having advisors and mentors saying, Hey, this is something that you were interested in looking at. You might want to talk to this guy over here and I go Mm -hmm. see somebody that looks like me in a suit and tie who's you know part back then they didn't really talk about stem that much but it's in the stem area because i was looking at engineering Mm -hmm. i was working as a you know being as an engineer um in school for that so having all of that there and being able to just look around this huge auditorium is all these companies you know whether it's medicine you know different fields whether it's you know psychology i mean nursing Mm -hmm. just whatever it was you know there were so many opportunities out there but it wasn't just like you were being herded in there. It was like, hey, there was some real thought into this. And then you would go oh, yeah. talk to the people who were presenting and who were offering, you know, talking about their companies. And they were just able to really relate to you and talk about what the opportunities they've had. And, you know, some of a lot of them went to either that particular institution or they went to another HBCU and they can talk about how their experiences and all that stuff. And and so it helps you, especially if you didn't have that kind of backing from home, you know, if mm-hmm. you're first generation, 
you know, you didn't have your, your parents didn't do this, or you didn't have your parents around. And you just kind of like your opportunity to go out and, and really set yourself up for the world. You know, they didn't have experience like you had, or maybe me where we had a strong family foundation. It was, you know, something else totally different. Mm -hmm. So having people guide them through the process, like I mentioned, the the registration process, Right. You know, if my parents weren't there when I went through the registration process, they dropped me off and said, peace, you know, I had to, <laughs> I had to figure it out, you know, right. um, and, 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 but it was cool because once I, you know, frustration challenges, all that stuff, but having those people there to walk you through it. So mm-hmm. finding a career, making sure the major is good, making sure, you know, you got the right classes, all of that stuff was so important, but then just checking on you to make sure, are mm-hmm. you good? You know, is there anything that you need? I had teachers that would ask me that they were like, Oh, you, you know, right. you seem like you're down. Like, you know, you seem like you're just not yourself or like you said, I missed you the other day or, Hey, you miss, you miss class. Is everything okay? Or, you know, like that's my sister went to a, a big school in Michigan and, you know, mm-hmm. I know her experience was different. Now they had clubs and groups where they would, um, you know, where they would try to sub- have support system, but it was, it was mm-hmm. the students that really ran that, you know, which is yeah. good, which is cool. But, you know, when you have faculty, staff, and everybody else involved mm-hmm. into helping you push through that, you know, that, that just makes it even better. So, uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Um, last thing I really want to focus on or just ask you about, and I brought it up a little earlier. So there's a lot of publicity now with, you know, like Coach Deion Sanders and Coach Eddie mm-hmm. George at, you know, Jackson State and Tennessee State, respectively, and they're coming in and they're shedding a lot of light, you know, and, and it's more than just the athletic side, but they're shedding a lot of, a lot of mm-hmm. light about um, just HBCUs and, you know, what the offers, you know, how they can do things and just the financial differences and, you know, all that stuff. And they're really, they're really causing a stir which is good because it's, it's, it's causing conversation uh that that should happen you know on, on bigger stages than it have been in the past uh but how do, how have you liked or have you liked seeing you know this this new resurgence of all these pro athletes that are coming back to hbcu some of them never even went to hbcus but now they're seeing that there's an opportunity mm-hmm. to give back and they're doing that what's your feeling about about that being you know heavily invested in hbcus over the years yeah, I think, um, you know, I definitely, I think it's a great opportunity. One thing uh, Deion Sanders actually did finish his degree at Talladega College. Ah, see, <laughs> um, see. Yeah, okay. right before um, he did start coaching. Yeah, he did actually did finish his degree at Talladega. Okay. Um, and so I think it's a great opportunity for, you know, you do get to see that um, attention, but also um, it hosts, it also brings you back to, those previous scholars, scholar athletes who um, did come from HBCUs, you, you know, you still got to go back and give it to um, the, the Doug Williams. You still yeah. got to give it back to the Michael Strahans, you know, who are yeah. you know, yeah. HBCU alums and, you know, thriving off the field right. as well. And so um, I think this is just another opportunity to see that you can make it and do well in that HBCU environment um, and then to use that opportunity for, you know, recruitment for, again, nurturing family development, um, you know, the media, there's a, there's a, this year, there's a significant amount of HBCU games and classics that are on television. Um, yeah. and so you get that, 
that another opportunity for recruitment and seeing the talent and exposure. Um, again, it's just one window um, for it. So I think it, I think it's great. You know, any anytime HBCU gets that opportunity to be in the light, of course, at the games you're going to get the commercials that show the academic program. So right. I think anywhere you can take advantage, you're going to see tables and booths um, for careers and different majors and graduate programs. So, um, and, and again, most of the times before the games, there's opportunity for the student leaders to get together from each institution. Right. There's opportunities for um, alumni to collaborate and, you know, discuss and maybe fundraising opportunities in that before then. So I think it all ties back to great opportunities for the institutions as a whole to get exposure to, you know, collaborate all of that, and, you know, innovation, you know, and I'm going back to, you know, the opportunities that you find, yeah. you know, in undergrad, I went to Southern University. I would have never thought, you know, the first, the, well, not the first, but the second HBCU that I worked at or the first one that I had an administrative post was my biggest rival, which is Gremlin. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes even the sports gives you the opportunities to see other schools see other schools in your conferences, see other, other schools in place to just think about them. This might be the next best opportunity for graduate school. This may be just the next best opportunity for employment. Um, this may be the next opportunity for some level of engagement, um, or maybe there's a great company um, in the state where these institutions are that might bridge you know, bridge another gap. Like, you know, of course, Nissan's in Tennessee, and they have these different partnerships with Tennessee State, Honda in Alabama, right. you know, you know, not to call all those different places, but you just never know what one piece of exposure from maybe a sponsorship for that game or that classic might lead to something else for students overall. So I think it's great exposure. I think it's great opportunities there. Yeah, I, I I definitely love it. I've always, you know, people say that any exposure is good exposure, you know, um, and in, in this instance, it's definitely driving it is. eyes. It can be, it definitely. Yeah, I, I and I, I love the fact that I got a chance to see, you know, TSU play Jackson State on ESPN. Like that was, oh yes, that was crazy. But, you know, it was like, it was a beautiful thing. And, you know, also seeing like ESPN, their main, their flagship show, First Take, you know, they're out there, you know, broadcasting about the game talking to the coaches you know you got the band playing and everything so it's showing the pageantry and everything else from Mm -hmm. the athletic side but it's also like you said it's you know what people don't understand you know we did hbcus the rivalries it's like you know fighting against your cousin or you know your sibling you know it's all love you get to the fan reunion y'all competing little stuff tug of wars and all that stuff afterwards everybody is cool and they partying together and all that good stuff it's not like there's a hatred, uh, but the, mm-hmm. the, the being able to network and, you know, having forums and different things that take place over that weekend just to discuss, you know, how we can better fund our schools. How can we right. build and, you know, provide more opportunities, you know, through things like this? How can we work to get more endorsement deals that can help mm-hmm. fund? Because a lot of these schools, they do use some of the money from the athletic program to oh, yeah. fund the school. So, you know, people, you know, talk about, of course, Coach Deion Sanders, they talk about him because he's like, he's so, you know, flamboyant and boisterous about stuff. No, he made a comment about, you know, people talking about the coach Nick Saban, um, at Alabama, and, you know, he made the comparison, like, when you talk to him, you call him coach, but for me, you call me primetime, you know, I want to be, I'm, I'm a coach, I deserve that right. attention. 
And after that, he wound up getting a, a commercial deal with Affleck, with him and Nick Saban together. And it generated, I think so far, they said over $20 million. He's, he's basically pumping that money back into the school. So, you know, it, it's, it's good to see that. And I, and I hope it continues. And it's more than just that, you know, for basketball, mm-hmm. you got coaches like Mo Williams who used to play for the Cavs. He's Alabama right. state, you know, Sean Gilbert, a former football player, He's at Livingstone College. You got Bonzi Wells at Lamone Owen. Um, he played basketball. Tyrone Wheatley went to University of Michigan. He's coaching at Morgan State. So you've got there's more coaches. And, and what I've what I've heard and what Coach Sanders said was that, you know, in speaking with Coach Eddie George, you know, he talked to him about not not only bringing and raising the awareness for the program itself, for you know, for college football and, and HBCUs, but helping to really prepare these young boys to become men oh know? yeah and that to me was like it was it was great because you know jackson state in their first one when, when they first started playing you know michael strahan donated you know he's got a, his own clothing line he's got suits mm-hmm. and stuff he donated suit coats for all the the men right. for all the players with the jackson state football team um and you know because they want to show them that you dress for success you know and and coach sanders is very detailed about how he does things but you know he's meticulous he's outspoken about it because he understands if you look good you play good but he's giving kids this the self-esteem that they need to 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 grow into the men that they that they desire to be and to be able whether they play on the next level or not they're going to be prepared for that so You know, I love seeing that. And hopefully that hopefully this trend continues, you know, not just for the athletic side, but I think that helps to bring eyes to the institutions. Oh, yeah. Some people go to colleges like Alabama and stuff like that because they love the football team and they just go to the school because they, they like that or, you know, whether it's basketball, or whatever sport and they get people off of that. And I think, you know, we're we're getting more of that information that the athletics are cool and that's part of the process. That's part of the experience you know, whether it's band, you know, people go to Jackson State or TSU or FAMU because of the band experience. They love the band, you know, and they, that may that may have been their first introduction into those schools. Right. So even though TSU's got the best band, but that's fun. Um, hold on. <laughs> that, that's for another conversation. Hold on, hold the, the on. The aristocrats. I'm not going to let you do that. Without <laughs> <laughs> uh, the mighty marching thorough mighty marching thoroughbreds or the human jukebox or the world fame i'm not gonna let you yeah. do, do issues my school too but uh you know i gotta throw it out there i don't, I don't have the diversity i'm just i'm all t issues so you know that that's it for me <laughs> but i love i mean i love all i do love listening to all the bands and you know again that was just oh, yeah. a small part of the experience but it was a big part of the experience at the same time so but but as you mentioned that you know i know you started off talking about you know, the athletics, but just the bands, you know, performing arts, the HBCUs, what it provided for the provides for students when so many art programs and mm-hmm. music are one of the first cuts you get in yeah. middle school and high school, you get that resurgence of it when you get back to the HBCUs and you get back into the platforms to be seen in the parades and That's to perform at the games and, you know, to, to, to go out and tour with um, the concert level of the band. So that's another thing that HBCUs provided was being able to get out there with the performing arts, yeah. you know, and with the bands and that big piece of it. The other part I think you're going to get to see is, you know, with politics, you know, the vice president, Stacey Abrams, you know, um, the Keisha, Keisha Bottoms, you know, right. all being able to see, um, you know, 
the the emergence again, or the, you know, you mentioned the word renaissance, but just you know that level of um, intellect. that level of intellect being on display again right? Um, in the level of the political realm. So, you know, the athletics, performing arts, the part of the medicine, um, you know, one of your, one of your key leaders with the vaccine, um, you know, African-American. Right. Uh, so, you know, just in the research, you know, just those, those, and one of the key players as well with your, you know, your president at Meharry, um, you know, in that whole process with, um, you know, the COVID COVID planning and different things like that. So being able to see these other levels of HBCU impact out front and out open and, you know, making that continuous impact, you know, all of that, you know, you'll, you'll see it all across the board. Yeah. And I think that's the, the beautiful opportunity that you have with the athletics, but all those other areas also. Yeah, because I, I mean, just the bands themselves. I mean, just the fact that you see them like performing with Beyonce or you see them at mm -hmm. the inauguration and you see them in some of these major, major events. Um, and that takes a lot of preparation. But, you know, these are and they get a chance to tour with some professionals. They, and so mm -hmm. it's exposing these young, you know, these young artists that want to pursue, you know, music and, and other things you know it, it helps to push them along so but it is that's the thing hbcus offer just the same amount the same programs that other schools offer they have it at hbcus and some of them are more connected in in some of the arts especially um than, than a lot of the the pwi so you know it's it's a great opportunity all around you know um and hopefully I call it a renaissance and, and I say that just because I've known it was already it's always been there. Oh, but, yeah. You know, so I think the rest of the country and the world is starting to pick back up and, and see, mm -hmm. OK, well, this is HBCUs and because some of these public forums where you've got big time athletes that are coming to, to help out and do things, you know. Uh, Tennessee State University, you know, yes, they have Coach Eddie George there, you know, but they also have, you know, the, the former coach Jeff Fisher for the Titans is assisting and helping to help organize mm -hmm. some of the team and helping him structure his, his, his staff so that he can be successful, you know? And right. so you have other people that are giving back because they understand that this is important and it is helping to build these players up to be not just players, but just better men, just be mm -hmm. better prepared for things. So, you know, that part of it alone is, is great, but just to see the, the, the constant publicity is bringing to the schools and helping to elevate them is great. So, um, that, that's really all I, I wanted to talk about. I, I think I, I really appreciate you, uh, so much for sharing that you gave a lot of great nuggets and a lot of great information just about HBCUs, just, you know, I appreciate your, you know, your passion for HBCUs and just education in general, higher education, especially among people of color. And, and to me, that is, that's great to hear because so many times people are like, oh, I'm not made for college and they just want to go do a trade. And, and if you want to do a trade, that's fine. But, you know, take the time. If you actually talk to people, you know, I think a lot of people would choose to at least try the experience and, and oh, see yeah. what it's like if they talk to the right people. I mean, understand what it's helping to prepare you for, you know, and then you make that decision from that, uh, having an, an informed decision. But um, I definitely thank you for for all of this information. Keep doing what you're doing. It, it's much needed. 
um, you know, I don't know where you're going to wind up next because you always <laughs> doing something big, you know, and I don't mean that in a funny way. I'm like, you're oh, always, no, I got you. I appreciate it. I you, appreciate you're always doing something big. So I know, you know, there's always the next thing for you, but you know, I, it all is tied around, you know, education and, and helping, you know, develop students and, and HBCUs, which is very much needed. So, you know, we've got a bunch more Dr. Penelope Deems out there, you know, pushing our HBCUs. I know we're going to be in a good place in the future. So uh, appreciate you. Thank you again. And, you know, if, 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 you know, something comes up again, I would love to have you back on the show to, to talk Definitely. about, talk about Definitely. some more things going on from the HBCU world. Well, well thank you so much. Well, everybody, that wraps up another episode of the Airflow Podcast. I just want to thank my special guest, Dr. Pernella Deems, VP of Student Engagement in Campus Life and an Associate Professor of Psychology at Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Kentucky, for being our guest today. As you've heard, there's so many things, so many great things that take place in HBCUs. And, you know, this episode wasn't directed to belittle anybody for choosing to go to uh, PWI, which is a predominantly white institution, and that is not the case, but we, we want to do is uplift the HBCU experience, uh, both of us being members of the community, graduates of HBCUs, and, and Dr. Deems has definitely have, had a lot more exposure and experience to the HBCU experience, both as a student and as an employee, faculty, or staff member uh, for an HBCU institution, as well as going to uh, your PWI institutions as well. So she's had the exposure and I want to make sure we, that we, we gave the perspective that a lot of people don't get, uh, when you talk about HBCUs, um, you know, and it's important because again, from an educational standpoint, you know, I, I want to promote higher education and being an heir, that is one of the mountains we want to conquer is the, the mountain of education. And we want to show that there is diversity in that, in that platform. There's diversity. There's more than just going to a big school. If you if you dream of going to a big school and that's something that you've had set in your heart, then do that. But also keep in mind that there's an op- there's also options. There's other options out there for HB, which is an HBCU. Um, and I mentioned earlier, it's not an alternative. You know, it, it's it's an option. Just like you have an option for a big time university, uh, there's also that option for the HBCU, and it depends on what you want and the type of experience you want on a college campus. Because I think you can get all of those things. And, and, and you know, again, it, it just depends on what you're looking for. Um, but as a person of color, you know, I, and, and as a graduate of Tennessee State University and HBCU, I know what I've gotten from that experience. And so I'm going to be an advocate for it. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's it's all about preference, but I want to make sure that, you know, that preference, that information is out there so that, you know, people can make an informed decision. You know, do some research on the schools, find out what programs they offer, find out what the tuition costs are, you know, find out just the different aspects of it, you know. Um, and, and I think it will it will help you to make a, a well-rounded uh, decision. And that's for those that are interested in going to school um, or going back to school, because uh, a lot of these HBCUs, they have the same um, they have the same platform to be able to offer um, online virtual courses. So, you know, again, there's always an opportunity to to go back to school. So, again, you know, uh, I think Dr. Deems, I thank you all for listening. I just want to, again, make sure you understand that the whole purpose of this is to, to lift up 
uh, lift us up as as kingdom heirs and to find different avenues that we can continue to build upon and find areas that we can overtake from with the kingdom mentality. And education is definitely important. It's important for a lot of reasons, but, you know, it, it, it's 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 one of those things where you've got to make up in your mind that this is something that you want to do, um, reaching out for a higher education. Um, and again, there there's nothing wrong with saying the college is not for you. But I always say if you are considering college, you know, think about the uh, think about that, the different options that are out there. Think about those HBCUs. Think about, you know, the, the smaller colleges and institutions that are there. Uh, for higher learning, because you'll find that you'll meet some of the most genuine people and have some of the best experiences ever. And you'll find that you'll have those experiences that will stay with you for a lifetime. So again, my name is Ricky Thomas. This is the Airflow Podcast. And as I'm signing off, I just want to remind you that you were created to be a kingdom heir. So as an heir, it is your obligation to go and flow in everything that God has purposed and planned for your life. Again, thank you for listening. God bless, and we'll see you next week.